Liverpool 3 0. Corner taken quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. The Reds roll on and UEFA cannot conduct a Champions League draw. My name is Luke and I'm joined by James to discuss, discuss all the latest Liverpool news. James, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Just the Reds giving us another heart attack on Saturday, but we, we yeah. survive another week. I guess now, obviously, Liverpool win 1-0 against Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa at Anfield, a Mo, a Mo Salah penalty. But even though we're less than halfway through the season, I guess now it's it just feels like get that win at all costs already. Even though there's like still a good six months or so left, but it already feels like we literally cannot slip up at all. Yeah, I feel like the first, what is it, 15 games we've played so no, I think if we've got another, you know, the winter and the back end of the season are the times where just win one nil if you need to win one nil, just keep grinding it out. The first couple of months, August, September, October, you know, they're sort of the months where we've seen City drop points in the last couple of years and then have gone on to win the league by 18 points. So I don't think it's won or lost at the beginning of the season. I think it's around this Christmas period and uh, particularly at the end of the season. It's just this long stretch now, the last five months of the season, um, where every game is, is like a cup final, really. Yeah, and as those games add up around Christmas time, it's just important just to get those three points in the bag, isn't it, really? Um, what did you make of the performance on Saturday then? It was obviously Stephen Gerrard's return. A lot of kind of fanfare was made about that rather than the game in the in the days leading up to the game. That seemed to be all that any anyone in the media wanted to talk about. But when the football started... How did you view Liverpool's performance overall? I felt Liverpool dealt with it pretty well. Um, I think Aston Villa, I was quite surprised with how they set up. They were quite negative. They were, you know, Martinez in goal. It, he's the Suarez of goalkeepers. He's just a shithouse. He's, <laughs> he's, throwing, he's throwing the ball back into the crowd. He's, he's time-wasting. And, you know, the referee's wasting more time by telling him off for time-wasting. So... Felt Liverpool dealt with it really well. They kept going, um, and we've we've mentioned it before, you know, on the show, and we mentioned it last season. You know, were we still the mentality monsters? Was that sort of group still within the squad? And I think we've seen it, especially the last two results. It's okay when you're beating Southampton four nil, you know, Everton four one, United five nil, um, but these are the nitty gritty games where I think you find out a lot about who's on the pitch and. You know, I couldn't fault anyone on the pitch on the day. Um, and yeah, they've just got to, you know, keep doing what they're doing and just keep fighting to the final minute. And it's almost reminiscent of when we finished second to City that year where Liverpool, even with 10 minutes to go, you always thought there was a goal still in it. And uh, I think that could, you know, serve as well going on late into the season. Yeah, I think a lot has been made about the way Steven Gerrard set up. And you said you're, you're surprised about it there, but I guess the alternative is you don't expect many teams to come to Anfield and go toe-to-toe with with Liverpool because they'll get blown away. So I don't know if it's maybe a little bit already of Steven Gerrard showing his flexible kind of tactical now. So then the games we've seen for Villa, the four or five games he's had, we've seen them turning on in an attacking sense. And we've also seen them, you know, in this game particularly, be able to be well-organised, well-drilled and, and do the ugly stuff well as well. So... I wonder if it's actually, even though it was a little bit of annoying as a Liverpool fan to try and watch a whole game of us just trying to break down what looked like, you know, two banks of five. Um, it actually bodes quite well going forward for Steven Gerrard's managerial career. Yeah, I think he's shown that he's adaptable. 
Um, he can go for it in the games he needs to, like uh, you know, against Palace and, and Watford. Um, and he's been he's been more conservative against Liverpool. I think it's not so much how Villa played in terms of the defensive side of the game. I know they were going to come to Anfield and going to make things difficult for us. I think that's been a blueprint for anyone who's been coming to Anfield under Jurgen Klopp is the, the best way Liverpool, the way Liverpool are going to play the best is, you know, on the, on the front foot, winning the ball high up at the pitch. And if you can nullify that by having two back, backs of five, then Liverpool aren't going to be able to do that. I think it was just more the play acting side of it from Aston Villa, the, you know, Tyrone Mings was another one who I think the ball boy threw the ball at him and then he, he just let it roll past him. It's just little stuff like that. I don't know if that's directly come from the manager or whether that's the players on the pitch. Um, but yeah, it was just, it just, it's just a bit annoying, really. Yeah, I think it is a little bit. We're, we're used to it now. We saw it a lot against Wolves, didn't we? And Molly knew the week before as well, particularly the kind of time wasting kind of stuff. They were doing that in the first half pretty much, weren't they? But, um, <laughs> There's a couple of big decisions in the game and that really, I guess you could say, were game-changing. Liverpool's only goal of the game came from a no-Salah penalty um, after a, a kind of tangle of legs with Tyrone Mings. What do you make of that one? A lot of people, as you'd expect, a lot of rival fans on Twitter said it was a classic no-Salah dive. But for me, there was definitely, you know, Mings didn't make any contact with the ball. And yes, perhaps Salah goes down a bit easily, but we've seen time and time again in the Premier League that if you don't go down, you don't get the penalty, even if you have been fouled. Yeah, that I mean, that's a big point. You know, if you don't go down, the referee doesn't give it. I think we're quick to praise plays for staying on the feet, but at the end of the day, what do they get for it? <laughs> the other play continues. I think if you compare it to the James Madison dive on, on Sunday against Newcastle, then, you know, I, th- I think... You know, there's a lot more contact in the Salah one than that one. I think defenders should know by now not to dive in in their own penalty area. I don't get, especially against players like Mo Salah, who we've seen him, his, his, sense, his low sense of gravity, the way he can twist and turn and how quick he is. Why, why is he sliding? Why, this is the point. Don't, don't give the referee the opportunity to make a decision. If you give the referee and VAR a chance to make a decision, the, you know, the odds are it's going to go against you. And I think that's what Tyrone Mings did. I, I think he put the referee in a position where he had to give the penalty. VAR obviously agreed with him. Um, but yeah, just stay on your feet. Don't dive in and then you've got nothing to complain about. And then at the other end of the pitch, obviously, there was kind of a 10 or 15 minute spell, wasn't there, where Liverpool got the goal and then they looked, you know, Villa had quite a few chances. They obviously had to come out a little bit more because otherwise they would have, you know, they were losing the game. So they had to be a little bit more adventurous. Ollie Watkins in particular was a bit of a live wire. Um, but there was a potential penalty for Aston Villa that was not given. And Danny Ings um, was in on goal and Alison Becker kind of swipes at the ball with his arm. And um, for my money, I know I'm biased, but I think Alison actually gets the ball um, before any kind of contact with Ings. But there was a few Aston Villa fans who were a bit aggrieved that that wasn't given. Yeah, I think he gets a little touch onto the ball. Now, a little touch is enough for it not to be given. You know, we've seen the Kasper Schmeichel goal last week against Villa where he has his, his hand on the ball for 0.9 of a second and they decided that that was enough not to give it, uh, not to allow the goal. So I do think he gets a bit on it, um, but I think mainly it's just a frustration from the Villa fans. You know, they defended really well. Martinez made a you know a couple of good saves. Um, they really frustrated Liverpool, and I think they're just probably thinking that the performance probably deserved at least a draw if a penalty is going to separate you know the two two sides. 
Um, and if, obviously, it would, the Villa fans would have been made up with that. They did go for it, like you said, through Danny Ings on um, final 15 minutes. So, yeah, I think he gets enough on it for it not to be a penalty. But, yeah, I can, I can also see why they're a little bit annoyed as well. There's a little bit of a push on Joel Matip, I thought, from Ings as well, just before, just to um, get that point across. To end um, so, yeah, the last two games for Liverpool, obviously, have been very different in terms of the scorelines to what we've seen for probably the last <laughs> month or two, really. Usually it's been a lot of goals um, up until the last two games against Wolves and Aston Villa. Um, so the goals have dried up a little bit. Obviously, penalty was the one that won the game, and then the Divock Origi, kind of a last minute. But is that just because of the nature of the difficult fixtures? Do you think, you know, Wolves, they, they've been in and around the top six to eight pretty much all season. They're going away at Molyneux, you know, on paper, that's one of the most probably difficult away games other than the absolute top, top teams. And then Aston Villa have got that new manager bounce under Steven Gerrard. It's not too much to be concerned about, do you think? No, I don't think it's, you know, something to be over concern- overly concerned about, I think. If you look at Wolves' defensive record this season, they've only conceded 14 goals this season, which is actually better than West Ham, who were sat in the top four. Um, so they are a really solid defensive side. Um, obviously, they play with that, you know, three centre-halves of Conor Cody being the main man in the middle, and then they've got the, the pace of Samedo down the right-hand side. Um, and again, with Villa, you know what teams are going to be like coming to Anfield. I, th- I just think the key for Liverpool is score as early as you can. I think once you get that early goal, you know, we've seen it against Southampton. We scored. Southampton probably had a game plan of just sit deep, sit tight, and try and weather the storm and maybe try and get something from a set piece. But two minutes in, Jota scores, and their game plan's completely gone out the window. They've got to play football. And, you know, if Liverpool had scored in the 30th minute, would we have seen Villa go for it as much? That then leaves the door open for Liverpool to score more. So, yeah, I think it's just Liverpool need to score early as, you know, as possible. But again, like we said, going back to the mentality monsters, I think Liverpool feel like they can score in no matter what minute it is. But I wouldn't be overly concerned. It's uh, at the end of the day, it's three points in the bag. And if we were drawing nil nil with fifteen shots on target and they weren't going in, I'd be a little bit more worried. Um, but yeah, still six points out of six from those two games. I just think everyone needs to be just a little bit more realistic in who Liverpool are going up against. And also, you know, there's a lot of missed chances, I think, in the Villa game, particularly. I think Diego Jota had a pretty good chance um, near the end. There was a few other opportunities where we were counter-attacking after Aston Villa had obviously pushed bodies forward to try and get that equaliser. And for whatever reason, you know, I think there was one where Salah weirdly passed for once when he always, almost always shoots in that same situation. And he's probably, in his mind, he's like, well, that's what happens when I try and share, share it around. <laughs> but, um, so I think it's important, isn't it, to find different ways to win a game, particularly when you're going for a title. It's all well and good blowing teams away 4-0, 5-0, 4-1, etc. All scores we've seen in, from Liverpool this season in, in a really impressive manner. But I think we mentioned it last week when talking about the Wolves game. Grinding out these 1-0s, you know, it's three points, it's three points whether you win 5-0 or 1-0. And you have to be able to solve problems on the pitch when it's not going your way. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But also... Liverpool have kept two clean sheets in those games. You know, it's not the Liverpool of last season, of course, with the defensive injuries were, they were tight games, like Burnley at home or Brighton at home were tight games. And then they go down the other end and score. You know, there's, there's three points going on the board. There's clean sheets going on. It's just, um, 
yeah, I think everyone needs to look at both ends of the pitch. And you're not going to be able to blow teams out every single week, 4-0, 5-0. It's just not going to happen. It's the Premier League. Anything can happen. It's not the most competitive league in the world. Teams in the bottom half are going. You know, Villa went to Old Trafford and won 1-0. So you couldn't take them lightly, um, especially, like you said, with the new manager bounce. So, yeah, I think as much as it adds about 10 years onto my life when Liverpool are nil-nil in the 75th minute and nothing seems to be going right. Um, but all it is, like I said before, it's just about winning games and trying to win it in different ways because you don't want to become too predictable as a team. Um, and I think Liverpool are showing different sides to them where teams are sitting deep and they still don't feel comfortable that they've got the win with 10, 15 minutes to go. And I think that's the fear. You need to start striking into teams. Um and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain obviously started the game in a bit of a, you know, kind of started in the front three, didn't he? Um, in that kind of Firmino false nine position almost. Didn't really work out for him, did it? A kind of, you got subbed for Jota on around 60 minutes, which I think is a sub that everyone was sort of coming. Um, Jota obviously didn't train last week, so probably Klopp didn't want to risk him for the full 90, so for him on with 25 minutes left. Um, I think... Chamberlain, what have you made of Chamberlain this season, really? There's a few games where he's looked really sharp and really lively, and then there's other games where it's kind of the game's passed him by a little bit. I seem to think it depends where Chamberlain plays. In the mid central midfield has always been his best position. We've seen it when he first signed for the club, and even when he was at Arsenal, he said he always wanted to play in the central midfield. And then sometimes Klopp's played him out wide on the right, or he has played him in this false nine. And I, I just don't think he's adapted to that. I don't think he's that kind of player anymore. Maybe a couple of years ago, you could have had Chamberlain. But obviously with the injuries, I don't you know, don't think he's as quick as he was. He's still a quick player, but just not as quick. And I think the midfield where he can dictate and he can link up with the front three is where we see him at his best. I don't think where he's one of the front three and he's got to do the linking up with another player. I think he likes to take the you know the ball and he likes to dictate what's going to happen. So, yeah, I've been more impressed with him when he's come off the bench at times than when he started. I think he struggled in that Preston League Cup game, but it's just all about getting minutes under his belt and just trying to keep him as fit as long as possible. And I think the more he plays and you know the longer he stays fit, I think he'll probably see the season as a success. Obviously, that's another goal now for Mo Salah. That's 14 goals in the Premier League this season. He's, you know, far and away the top scorer in the league. There's been a little bit more unrest about from fans, not from, you know, anything that's been said by the club about Salah's contract situation not being resolved. I think within the last kind of week or so, Salah's again emphasised that it's in the club's hands. If it's down to me, wants to stay no matter what. Just, it's kind of hard to... Overstate just how vital it is to keep Mo Salah happy and and tied down to a new deal. But do you think it's just a matter of time for when he signs, or do you think it's a little bit more concerning? I, I just think it's a matter of time. I don't think there's anywhere else, any other team in the world where he could go and challenge for every domestic cup and league. You know. Real Madrid aren't the same Real Madrid as he used to be. Barcelona are definitely. I don't think he's got, he wants to swap Jota for Luke de Jong up front. And then Bayern Munich, they seem to have a wage structure that they don't seem to budge off. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... I mean, when he comes out and says stuff like that, of course it's going to get the fans riled because then the fans are saying, listen, he's happy, just put the... But there's a lot behind the scenes that needs to be done. 
They've just paid, was it 60 million for this new stand at Anfield Road to get extended? Got to work the finances out with that. I don't think that's something that fans don't see. We don't see what Liverpool have got going out of the club, what they've got coming in and where the impact of this will leave us, you know, four years down the line if he signs a four-year deal or a three-year deal. Um, but it does get you more nervous because I think it, he's only got 18 months left on it now. It runs out next uh, summer of 2023. So, yeah, it's, it's taken me back to the time when uh, Gerard was had 18 months left on his deal and coming up to 12 months and Chelsea started throwing a few cheeky bids in. Um, but I can't see his head being turned. I think as long as the club put a realistic offer in front of him and a, a reasonable one as well, um, that I'm sure he'll be happy to sign it. The only club that I could see potentially pulling it off would be PSG if they were to go, you know, if they were to leave, let Mbappe go to Real Madrid, which seems like it's what Mbappe wants to do. We saw in the summer he basically handed him a transfer request. He's made it quite clear he's not going to sign another deal. So if Mbappe was to go to Real Madrid, perhaps PSG would want another superstar forward there. But, you know, playing in the French League is no disrespect. It's not as prestigious as, you know, the Premier League, yes, he's won it, and yes, I think he's established, already established himself as a all-time great. But he really could go on and break all the records in the Premier League, more or less, couldn't he? If he if he sticks around for another four, five years, or whatever it may be. So I think everyone's got their fingers crossed it'll happen. I think I think it will in the in the end. Um, I think FSG are realistic. I mean, we know that they're businessmen, but at the same time, it's it's going to be a lot more um, expensive to replace him than to than to keep him because you're going to have to go out and find another source for all those goals. And there's only a finite number of players on the planet who can, who can do that. And the, the only ones who are probably going to deliver those kind of numbers are going to be the likes of Mbappe or Haaland. And they can't, can't really see that happening myself coming to Liverpool. So fingers crossed that it all gets worked out. It'll probably be announced just as the January transfer window opens. It's a, it's a, bit <laughs> a bit like great FSGPR move as, as always. Um, next up for Liverpool then is Newcastle United um, in the Premier League they are having an absolute stinker of a season absolutely got battered 4-0 by Leicester at the weekend um, well and truly in that bottom three before we go and talk about the game Newcastle generally obviously there's a lot of chat about them at the moment they're the richest club on the planet um, but say they re- really are in a relegation battle and it's quite difficult to see how they get out of it. Their December fixtures also are not kind to them. I think they've got players in both the Manchester clubs as well. Yeah, I feel sorry for Newcastle at the moment because this this bid and this takeover could have been done 12, 18 months ago and they would have been in a completely different situation with a lot better players in the squad. Um, The only thing they've got going for them is Norwich, Watford, and Burnley all seem to be equally as bad as them in terms of not picking up points. Um, you know, Watford dropped two vital points away at Brentford at the weekend on Friday night. Um, I just don't see anybody really, no one's pulling away from them to make me think they're definitely down. Um, January transfer window is going to be absolutely huge for them. Seeing the likes of Coutinho getting linked and, and players like that. So, you probably have to keep, I think, you know, if uh, Jim White was still on Sky Sports, he'll probably be having a field day on transfer deadline day. But uh, no, I, I, it's mad though. If they put two, three wins together, and I know they haven't looked like doing that this season because they've only got one win, then they sort of go up to like 13th, 12th yeah. in the league. So 
it's not unthinkable that they could stay up. I've seen we've seen worse teams like Portsmouth stay up, West Brom stay up. You know, under um, you know was it Brian Robson? So, um, do they have a chance of staying up? Yeah, but like you said, these December fixtures coming up, and everybody knows now Newcastle have got money, so they're going to add another 10, 20 million onto any transfer fee. Um, yeah, it's not going to look good if they're in the championship with. You know, spending two hundred fifty million in a transfer window, but yeah. you know, I, I like Newcastle. I like the fans. Um, so I, you know, I do hope they do stay up. At risk of making this too Newcastle centric, but do, do you think? Obviously, we know that January is going to be huge, and they've got the cash to buy basically anyone they need. But what players are going to want to go there, knowing that? you know there's a real risk of getting relegated I don't think they're going to be I know there's obviously the silly talk of you know Hazards and Coutinho's and massive names like that I don't think that's going to happen I think if anything they're going to be signing players who can you know you're almost signing players just for six months just to get you get you up to keep keep you up basically you know they've been linked also with like James Tarkovsky from Burnley they obviously desperately need defenders players like that who are in and around teams in that bottom part of the table who can give them enough quality to stay up and then build on in the summer. But, I mean, they've got the appeal of being able to off, offer players massive wages. I guess that's the main thing they've got going in their favour. But do you think they'll struggle to find players that want to take the risk of a relegation? Uh, I think what they need to look for is is so, someone like, and I've seen them linked with him in, in the last week or so, Jesse Lingard. And like a Coutinho, I know the Coutinho's you know, a much bigger name than Lingard, but they need, I think they'll look for players in terms of who are around 27, 28, who the careers are starting to stagnate. The clubs that they're at aren't really a show. You'd, you'd go straight to Barcelona and say, right, how much for Coutinho? You'd go to United, you're not playing Lingard. He's on X amount, he's this old. How much do you want for him? Um, I think that's what they'll sort of do. I think they'll, they'll look for players who are just sitting on the bench, rotting away at other clubs and who they can get at a cheap deal, but who have got a big reputation. I think that's what they'll... You can't... I don't know who else... You can't go signing championship players. You can't go signing... I know you mentioned James Tarkovsky. I do think he's a good defender. Um, but would he run... Is he going to look at it and go, well, if I'm the only January signing, am I more likely to stay up with Burnley or Newcastle? And it just comes down to that. But I think players in the brackets, 27-28 who aren't playing much for the clubs. I think that would probably be Newcastle's, you know, transfer strategy going into this uh, January transfer window. Looking ahead to this game a little bit, then um, obviously it's at Anfield, like say Newcastle won win this season, they've just lost 4-0 to Leicester. Anything less than a win, obviously you're going to be disappointed as a Liverpool fan, but uh, without jinxing the game, it could be, you know, we could see the Reds back scoring a, a few goals again, fingers crossed. Do you think it'll be as straightforward as that? If Liverpool score in the first 10 minutes, I think it could be a cricket score. Um, I don't know what it is for Newcastle. I think it was last year he came and scored. Was it Joe Willock scored in the 93rd minute and we ended up dropping points there? Um, they've come, yeah, they've come, they've come to Anfield a few times and got something or we struggled against them at St. James's Park. There's just something about them, but yeah, I, I just think if you get a goal in the first 10, 15 minutes, I think you can completely blow this side away. You saw it with Leicester, um, just capitulated. As soon as even the second one went in, it just went from bad to worse. And you're sort of just looking at the team, 
and you just look thinking, where's the threat going to come on the counter? Because they're going to sit deep and they're going to sit with everyone at the back. But you're just wondering, where's the threat going to come from? Callum Wilson hasn't got the same pace as he did before it, on you know, his ACL injuries. St. Maximin is a threat down that left-hand side, but his end product just isn't there. So, yeah, I think Liverpool should win this comfortably. Um, I think it's maybe a return to the to scores we saw against United and Everton and Southampton. But, yeah, there's just something. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I think it's the last two games that's, that's making me question Liverpool at the moment. But, yeah, um, it should be about 4-5-0 or five, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. Fingers crossed that's the case. But do you think Klopp will use this fixture as a potential opportunity to rotate? Um, obviously, we know that Jota only played 25 minutes or so against Aston Villa. That centre-backs, maybe he'll put in a Canate or maybe a Simicas and a left-back. Maybe, you know, Naby Keita's just getting back fit. He could do some minutes. Do you think it will be a little bit more mixed, this one? than what we've seen in the most recent Premier League games, especially as, as I say, we entered that Christmas period now where there's going to, the games are going to be coming thick and fast, you know, in, in the latter end of the month. Yeah, no, I think it'll, I think you will probably make changes to this one. I think then we've got Leicester in the League Cup quarterfinals midweek. Um, and then, you know, you're getting around to that busy festive period again. So, I would wouldn't be surprised if I saw Canate coming for Matip, Simakas coming for Robertson, um, and maybe Jota comes back in for Chamberlain, but Chamberlain then slots in to the midfield and maybe Henderson gets a rest. So I think a lot of us all ex- the rumors coming out for the Wolves game that Henderson was going to get a rest, and then there was rumors for the Villa game that Henderson was going to get a rest. And I think out of the three, this is probably the game you'll give him that rest. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want them to make too many changes where the team becomes a little bit dysfunctional. But I think, you know, I think every Liverpool fan is happy enough for Canate, Simicas and Oxlade-Chamberlain to start. I think we've seen enough from them this season to, to know that they can go out there, get the job done and help the team get three points. And also, Roberto Firmino is back in training for the first time in a few weeks. Um, it's quite timely, really, when you consider that the Christmas period, as we mentioned, but then also in, in January, obviously, Sarah Mane going off to the African Cup of Nations. How big a part could Firmino play in Liverpool's successes this season when you think that he could end up being basically your best forward for a few games? Yeah, I think it's been it's been massive for Firmino this season. I think it's been a big confidence boost for the fans and for him, the start he's had. I think, you know, last season we, we were all questioning, especially on here, me, you and Max were all questioning whether they... We'd seen the best of Bobby, whether out of the three, that he would be the first one to go. Is this summer the right time to sell him? But I think he's, you know, he's come off the bench and scored goals and he still has an influence in the big games and the way he drops deep. As much as I love Jota, there's still just something about Firmino playing that number nine position that I just favour a little bit more over Jota with the pressing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're only going to miss Salah and um, Mane for two games. Um but I think the earlier we can get Firmino into the first team and getting some minutes under his belt, you know, I think really a front three of Firmino, Origi and Jota should be able to cope for two games. Um, I think if it, you know Firmino's injury had gone any longer, then I'd be a little, a little bit more concerned. Uh, but let's get some minutes under his belt now in these winter games, you know, over the Christmas period and... Uh, 
hope he can continue his hot form that he started at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I'm not sure if he will be back, you know, match fit for this one or not. Obviously, we've seen him back in training, but Klopp sometimes likes to give players a little bit of time. But obviously, then there's Tottenham following on from Newcastle. So hopefully, it's it's not too far away from when we see him again. Um, let's talk about this Champions League draw then. We've saved it till the end of the show. It's been a bit of a mess today. On the day that we're recording is the Champions League draw. Obviously, it was Salzburg versus Liverpool and we were, I think, all pretty bloody delighted with that. No disrespect <laughs> to Salzburg, but probably on paper the easiest game. And then somehow UEFA have managed to absolutely muff it up and had to redo it again and it's and it's Inter Milan so first of all let's talk about the actual team we've got which is Inter Milan obviously a harder prospect than Salzburg but you still expect the Reds to progress wouldn't you? Yeah you would I mean this is an Inter Milan team who sold Lukaku in the summer replaced him with Edin Dzeko who you know, doesn't have the pace as what Lukaku or the strength of what Lukaku has I think if we were playing last year's Inter Milan team, I'd be a little bit more concerned. But I think this year, I think the third in Serie A, AC Milan are top. So if you're thinking if we can turn over AC Milan to a top of the, the Italian league, then obviously we've got a fair chance against Inter Milan. But, you know, they'll be tough to beat. They'll play with five, you know, three centre-halves, two wing-backs, compact midfield. We've seen what Barella is like, especially with the Italian team at the Euros. You know, isn't I think he's going to miss the first leg because he punched... Eda Militao on the final match day uh, of the group stages. So, yeah, I think Liverpool can get the job done early in the first tie. I think the first tie is at home, is it? Um, it's in San Siro first, and Anfield's the second leg. Right. So, Liverpool goal to score two or three away goals, which they're more than capable of doing then. I think the tie could be pretty much done by then. In fact, um, in, uh, this is the first season, just to stop you there, James, this is the first season where away goals actually are not... Uh, thing anymore they no longer exist in, in UEFA competition for the first time so that's another dynamic that we've got we've got to deal with it's literally just who could score the most goals over two games basically well I thought that was the year I thought they were only bringing that out next season um, yeah that does bring a little bit brings a big difference into it then really um, I did like that rule to be fair I've always liked the away goal rule I always think it makes that second tie a bit more interesting Um I think Liverpool have got through on that away goal rule a few times. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I still think it's it should be comfortable enough for Liverpool. I think, you know, they've we've avoided a, you know maybe potential banana skin in Juventus, um, you know, a team like that. So, thing to get into Milan, who didn't really set the world alight in their group, losing twice to Real Madrid. Um, it's not the greatest Real Madrid team again either. Um, I think I think we'll be okay. And ironically, this Inter Milan team that we are coming up against, I think they're probably the worst they've been for the last two or three years. Even though, like you said, they went and won the league. They had Conte, they had Lukaku, um, they had um, Hakimi last year. They still have decent players like Lutoro Martinez and Barella, like you mentioned. But the last couple of years, they've actually not even got through to the last 16 when they've had these guys. And now they've gone and they have somehow, you know, they've managed to get through. Um, but yeah, you'd, you'd expect Liverpool to to win. Um, so the second leg of this game will be at Anfield um, because we won the group. How big a boost will that be? You know, no matter, you'd still expect Liverpool to win in the San Siro, but having the game come back to Anfield in front of the crowd, if you, if you need a boost, then that's surely an advantage. Yeah, it's absolutely massive. I think 
you know, when we were in the Champions League last season, um, there was no fans, especially in that Real Madrid away leg where Liverpool needed to win 2-0 and they went through and to have no fans in the stadium is a, you know, it's a massive thing. You know, Anfield, the atmosphere on a Champions League night is renowned throughout the whole of Europe, it seems. Every team, no matter who you get drawn against, they could be the winners of the Lithuanian League. They all know... You know just how big Liverpool Anfield is on a on a Champions League night, but I think this is where Anfield comes into its into its own in the knockout stages. I think yeah, the group stages always have a great atmosphere. You know we've had you know three big teams in the group, um, you know Porto, Atletico, and AC Milan. Um, but the knockout stages is when the competition comes to life, and you can sort of feel it in the stadium at that point. But yeah, I think if you can get the job done, um, then maybe you can perhaps rest a few players and the players coming in for them to be playing under the lights in a Champions League knockout stages with the crowd singing um, on their side. You know, for someone like Tyler Morton, you know, for example, we've seen him come in against Atletico Madrid and we've seen him come in against AC Milan and really hold his own in that midfield and possibly be the best midfielder on the pitch. If Liverpool get the job done and then he can play in the knockout stages, it, it, it's just a big experience for the, for the players and, you know, it's, it, it that can only benefit the squad, really. To you know, you've got players that you know can come in and do a job. Yeah, absolutely. And just before we go, I think UEFA showed uh, just how incompetent they they can be at times. Obviously, for those who didn't see, the draw was going, you know, as it usually does. But then somehow they ended up with the Manchester United ball in the pot for the drawing the opponents against Villarreal, which obviously quite is impossible for to be Man United because they played them in the group stage. Um, so Andre Arshavin pulled out Manchester United and it was like, had to redo it because they weren't meant to be in there. Manchester City got it. And then, then when it came to pulling out the opponents for Atletico Madrid, the Manchester United ball that should have been in the pot wasn't in the pot. And I think actually our ball, Liverpool's ball, was in the pot to play Atletico Madrid, which again, is not allowed because <laughs> we faced them in the group stage. It was all a bit of a mess really, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, you know, I think we were big advocates for not joining the Super League, but for everybody who said <laughs> that UEFA were the best out of the two, they can't even get a draw right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, let's be perfectly honest. These people are still buffoons and they're still overpaid <laughs> idiots. Um, if you can't even get the draw right, then, you know, for them to get rid of the away goal rule, does that really surprise us if they can't put the right, you know, the right teams into the pot? So I think it just goes to sum them up really. And, just feel sorry for the likes of Arshavin, who, you know, it's got nothing to do with him, but he's got millions of people watching across Europe to find out who they've got. And he, he just looks like a complete idiot on the stage, reading out the wrong team. But yeah, I think everything we knew about UEFA and everything we thought was confirmed within that 30 seconds of where it just all went wrong. Yeah, I mean, not that it would have been better if they'd have done it in the in the Conference League draw. No one would probably care. <laughs> but they've literally done it at like the pinnacle of European football. Um, yeah, it, it was a bit silly, but in the end, we've we've got a, a draw that it's a bit of a glamour tie in a way, isn't it? And it's a European elite team, but they're not the team they once were. And you'd expect Liverpool. I mean, realistically, I think it's only going to be an English team or maybe Bayern Munich who win it. Even PSG, I think, even though they've got amazing, amazing, amazing forward players, they're probably a bit imbalanced. Would you agree? Do you think it will be an English team or Bayern that lift it? Come May? yeah. Yeah, I can't disagree. I think the way the English clubs are playing at the moment, when I say English clubs, I just think it's Liverpool and City. Uh, Chelsea, the, the last couple of weeks have changed my mind on them. 
uh, with their Even injuries. A lot of goals I mean, as well. Yeah, I mean, everyone was saying we were used excuses when we said we had a big injury list last season. Now all of a sudden they've got a few injuries, and now they're saying that their injury list is worse than ours. So, but then again, I look at Bayern Munich this season; they're conceding goals as well. I think did Much and Gladbach beat them six 0 a couple of weeks ago, and they conceded another two. Yeah, they conceded another two goals against Dortmund last weekend. Um, so I think this really is up for grabs for Liverpool. I think if if they really set the heart on it and they really go for it, you know, I think with being in a title race, I think you can your eyes just focus on one prize. Um, I think if Liverpool can focus on the Champions League and, and the Premier League, I don't see any reason why they can't win both because I think the best team in Europe at the moment for knockout football is Liverpool. The way they defend, the way they counter-attack. I think this competition is... I think that's why we don't see the likes of Man City win it because they're a complete, they play the same in both legs. They just pass the ball around. They control the possession for the home and away legs, whereas Liverpool will sit deep and counter-attack on the away legs and then go for it at the home legs, which I think that's what you need in this competition. So, yeah... Liverpool, City, Bayern Munich. But with those three teams, it's impossible that two of them are going to avoid themselves all the way to the final. So um, the earlier you can get them and knock them out, the easier the rest of the competition will be. Fingers crossed that we have a Premier League and Champions League double uh, (laughs) come the end of the season. But that's it for this week. So, James, thank you for your time. No problem. Always good to jump on and chat football. Uh, we'll be back very, very soon to bring you more Liverpool chat. But until then, there's plenty of content on our website and um, on our Twitter at Anfield underscore central. But yeah, until next time, thank you and goodbye.